Hello and welcome to the MedReach podcast. This is episode 34. And for this episode, I was up in the big old echoey Gartnaval Hospital in Glasgow, interviewing our guest on gender-based violence and human trafficking. I hope you enjoy. Okay, so hello and welcome to the Simongos podcast. Today we are talking about gender-based violence and human trafficking, and I'm here with Kath Gallagher. Kath, thank you very much for joining us. Hi there, Ewan. And this is um, an important topic. Can, Can you just start with telling us uh, what your interest is in this topic and what, what your role is in, in uh, Greater Glasgow and Clyde? Well, as part of the work of the Equality and Human Rights team, um, I am the lead responsible for gender-based violence. And so it's a big human rights issue. And and why do you think it's such an important topic for us in emergency medicine? Well, health services are the one place that people who are experiencing gender-based violence might be able to access support and um, safety and, 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 and it's probably there's probably some subtle signs it's probably something that we could miss is that is that fair to say and we're going to talk about some of the clues uh, to identify this is that is it something that we feel that we may be missing opportunities to um, to, to uh, you know um, discover these people and, and to, to support them in these opportunities is that fair Yes, I think we may miss these opportunities for a variety of reasons. Like maybe we don't have the confidence to ask about it and people don't always want to disclose it because they're frightened or they're fearful of the consequences of telling. Okay, well let's talk about gender-based violence specifically in the first instance, if that's okay. So what are the different types and forms of gender-based violence and what connects them? Well, there's a whole spectrum. Um, so it covers everything from domestic abuse, rape sexual assault, forced marriage, if female genital mutilation, um, commercial sexual exploitation. So is the Scottish government um, have um, a strategy called Equally Safe and the underpinning all these forms of gender-based violence are an abuse of generally male power against female. Okay, so what kind of people are most likely to be victims? Well, anyone can be a victim, Um of gender-based violence. Predominantly, it's women who are victims and men who are perpetrators. But women of any age or background and any ability can be victims of domestic uh, gender-based violence. Is it an easy thing to identify? Or what I mean is, how should we or could we identify these people? Well, there are some indicators that are helpful in identifying victims. Um, it might be the way that a person's behaving. For example, they may be accompanied by someone who appears quite controlling of their interaction with the, the health worker who's treating them. Um, it may be that they're quite evasive about what information they're given and, or appear nervous um, with in front of the, the other person. Um, they may demonstrate distrust of services um, as well. There's also health presentations, so they may arrive with injuries from assault, which they may assure you are not connected to any kind of um, injury, uh, harm or assault. But And they, they might have, in terms of human trafficking, they might have work-related injuries that suggest poor health and safety at work. Um, they may also, for women, have repeated unwanted pregnancies. There's a whole raft of um, different kinds of presentations and it's important that health staff are aware of 
the links between different forms of uh, health presentations and gender-based violence. So I think what you're saying is um, injuries that may not be necessarily consistent with what they're describing. There may be some alarm bells or it could be, you know, unwanted pregnancies or it could be a kind of evasive, unusual behaviour or even someone else present who's a little bit controlling. Is that kind of the main Yeah, crux? I think in terms of domestic abuse and human trafficking particularly, it, there may well be someone else present. It, they could be introduced as a friend or a family member, or it could indeed be the woman's partner. But that's it, often observing the behaviour of the person present would give you the clue as to whether or not uh, the woman is is being abused or held against their will, perhaps and I, and I guess it human could be, trafficking. And I guess it could be any type of injury, really, but I guess the key is maybe a bit of an inconsistency with the story or... Or maybe exactly. a delayed presentation or... or exactly. Just... It would be an inconsistency with the story that you would be looking out for there. So before we necessarily even get to the, the patient interaction, what, what other things kind of need to be in place within the department um, so that we don't miss these opportunities? Well, firstly, it's important that staff have had access to training and awareness raising about the issue. In terms of practical measures... It's important that um, there's some private space, some private accommodation, that if a staff member does have a concern, they can um, have that space to talk to the person confidentially and away from any person who maybe have accompanied them uh, to any. Um, also, the other thing is important that the any communication needs that the person who's presenting has are addressed. That's at the very outset, so that I'm never using the person accompanying them as an interpreter, because that can be actually quite dangerous and it will close down any possibility that they're going to disclose anything to you. Okay, so I was wondering, can I possibly just lead you through a kind of fake scenario, if that's sure. okay, just to get a sense of how I should um, deal with, mm -hmm. with with this type of situation. Is that okay? So let's just say that, that a lady has arrived and she was with her partner mm -hmm. and a, a few alarm bells were rung in the mm -hmm. triage room. Mm -hmm. um, so our, our nurse who has been, who's been through the staff awareness program, she's put them in our private room, but the partner didn't want to leave at mm -hmm. that stage. So I arrive into the room, maybe you're mm -hmm. with me, guiding me through this. Um, and I guess... I've been informed that this may be one of those types of scenarios. Mm. So how should I deal with this situation? I, I presume the first maybe thing would be to probably try to get private time with mm -hmm. the patient. So mm -hmm. how would you manage that situation when you have a controlling partner who doesn't want to leave them on their own? Mm -hmm. Well, I guess since the, both the, the woman and her partner are in the room already, what, and you're trying to get sort of that space with the woman on their own, it might be an idea to ask the partner step outside for a moment and when you're outside explain to them that um, part of the routine part of your procedures is that you always see a patient on their own in order to there's some intimate questions that you you have to ask them sort of medical things so if you wouldn't mind waiting for a few minutes then that would should then give you the chance to go back into the room and be with the woman on her own and um, that's probably easier than trying to get him to leave the room while you're there um, so I think using the the health um, service authority, if you like, to try and create that that private space. Um, be aware that 
um, the partner might turn to the woman and say, do you want me to stay? And that's why, um, and she may be too frightened to um, refuse him. So that's where you have, you can call back on the procedures. So you kind of use the procedures or, or say there's procedures there that you have to follow. Um, so that would create, that would give you the, the private space you need. Okay, so I've taken the partner outside and I've told him that, you know, this is standard yeah. medical procedure and we'd like some time alone, but they refuse. Um, and they're determined to get back into the room. Yeah. Um, is there anything we can do? Do we have any rights? Should we forcibly insist that this is, you know, our rights to see her alone? Or, or is it something that can sometimes escalate and, and maybe cause more harm than good? Yeah. Yes, I think you have to be um, weighing up the situation quite quickly there about whether the man is posing an immediate threat of harm to the woman or indeed to other staff. I mean, in some circumstances, um, you may have to call the police if the man starts to behave immediately violently. Um, but otherwise, it may be that the best thing you can do in that scenario is to see the woman and make another health appointment for her. Normally that might not happen at A&E, but there might be a way that you could arrange for her to speak to someone else at a future point safely or at least give her the opportunity of that. So saying that she would need to come back for a further appointment, that gives another opportunity for her to be able to talk to someone about it. And I had a question about asking you how to do it without arousing suspicion, but I think you've probably already answered that. You, you take them outside, you, you tell them this is standard procedure mm -hmm. to have some time alone. It just helps with my assessment mm -hmm. of the patient. Um, I take it that's probably the answer to that. Is that right? Yeah. And if you decide that if they insist on coming back in, you then would maybe say, well, we, we're not going to be able to go through that bit of the procedure since you're here, because they could then be suspicious of... You were to continue the examination, but not um, be doing anything that was particularly intimate. Or okay, so we're now alone with the patient and we're just going through our history and examination. But when would be the right time, do you think, to bring up the possibility of abu abuse? And, and how would be the sensitive and, and, and appropriate way to do so with the patient? Well, you're with the patient, you're discussing their injuries and you may have noticed a discrepancy between the story that they've told you about what caused that injury and the actual presentation of the injury. And that would be a way in which you could you could say that to the person, say it doesn't quite fit with what you've been telling me and is there anything else you want to tell me? Um, you could refer back to how they might be appearing a bit nervous um, and reassuring them um, in, but asking them if there's other things going on that they, they may want to tell you about what had happened before they arrived at the at the at the hospital um, you can ask directly about domestic abuse if you feel that someone is continuing to um, not answer questions directly then you can say one of the things for example that you were concerned about was that the, the person's partner may have been responsible for the injury and um, because of the way in which he was behaving. Um, so it's, it's perfectly valid to ask a direct question once you've explored other avenues because it gives the person um, the freedom to respond. Okay, so let's say that the patient does disclose something. What, what, what is the best way to, to respond to that? How, how should I behave? 
Well, the first thing is, um, whatever they're disclosing, don't react. So um, in terms of being shocked or judging, so you're not there to judge someone, you're there to listen um, and to um, see how together you can work with them to help them. Um, so the first other thing that you should be doing is believe in what they're telling you. So I think those are the kind of key things that, that need to be there, belief and also not to present to them as if this is some dramatic um out of the ordinary thing that they that they are telling you, um, so obviously you want to be calm because they may well be upset. You're trying to be there to reassure them. You're trying to make them safe as safe as they can possibly feel in that circumstances, and and that they can trust you um, to be there for for them if you like. Before before you ask um well when you've got this private time in the in the room you do have to have either previously or then um ask let them know what the boundaries of confidentiality are because it may be that in terms of them disclosing in the course of them disclosing to you you might be aware that there may be a child or a vulnerable adult at risk of harm and you would have to then follow procedures to protect um, those those people so you have to um, explain to the person that um, you have got concerns about them about anything that they tell you um, if it, if there was a, a child involved or an adult involved then you may have to disclose that but otherwise um, you would be keeping things in confidence um, and only you would only be sharing it unless you had their agreement to share it um, with and that might be with other medical staff or other people that might be able to help them. Um, and then you would set about a set, working with the person to assess what level of risk they feel that they are under in terms of serious harm um, and what their choices therefore might be, what their options and choices are moving forward. So you would have to then be able to provide them with some information about what those options are. And that would require you to be aware of support services and etc. Okay, so obviously we are not the, the health professionals who are actually physically able to make a difference to this patient. I think mm -hmm. it's a good starting point. We can probably signpost them now. Mm -hmm. so, so we'll come to that in a wee minute, but I just wanted to ask you, first off, what are our limitations? What, what are things that we can't do? Um, what are things to think about? Well, you can't promise the person that, for example, you will be able to keep them safe because you you can't promise them things that just are not in your gift to provide you may well be very time limited um, you may well uh, not have knowledge about what will happen after you refer them on to another service so you 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 can't solve the problem for them so that's what you have to remember you're not there so be careful to not to that. make sweeping statements about yeah. what's what you're able to provide or not absolutely, provide absolutely yeah so many many thanks to Kath I thought I would run through the main take-home points from this talk. So firstly, why is it important? Well, the health services are a place where people can access support and safety and it is possible we are missing cases and that's down to a lack of confidence asking about it, but also the patients themselves not wanting to disclose information because of fear of consequences. 
Gender-based violence can take a number of forms, including domestic abuse, rape and sexual assault, forced marriage, female genital mutilation, and commercial sexual exploitation. And is typically male versus female, but can be male versus male, or indeed female versus male. And anyone can be a victim, any age, background, or ability. How to identify can be down to a number of clues, including behavior, that is, of the patient themselves, who can be evasive or nervous or distrustful of services, but also the behaviour of the person present with them who can appear controlling of the interaction. And clues can also come from the injuries themselves. So if they appear as if they were secondary to an assault, but there's an inconsistent story or delayed presentation. And in terms of human trafficking, they can present with work-related injuries suggestive of poor health and safety standards. Things that should be in place in your department include staff having access to training and awareness raising. There should be private spaces for seeing patients confidentially and never use the person accompanying the patient as an interpreter because they may not give an accurate story. When trying to get space alone with the patient, it's probably best to take the person accompanying them outside of the room and explain to them that it is routine to have time alone with them but you cannot force this and if they refuse to leave it will erase alarm bells but you may have to try and arrange another time to see the patient if possible. So when inquiring about abuse do so sensitively at first things like this doesn't quite fit is there anything else you would like to tell me if they are nervous you can describe what your concern is and ask them if there is anything else going on but if they are resisting you may have to take a more direct approach where you state your concern regarding the injury or presentation if someone does disclose abuse the way to respond is by trying to stay calm and non-judgmental you want to listen and see how you can work together and you should believe what they tell you your job is to help them feel safe and that they can trust you. You should also remember to tell them about the boundaries of confidentiality and if there's any risk to other children or vulnerable adults then you would have to disclose that information even if it is against their will. Then you need to assess the level of risk they are under and then explore their choices and options moving forward. So make sure you have a good knowledge of local services available. So many, many thanks to you for listening and many, many thanks to Kath for her time. Please visit stmungos-ed.com for the show notes and also lots of other additional resources for your enjoyment. Until next time, take care.